Thank you so, thank you so much. It is such an honor and a delight to be with you today. I tell you, Dr. Cox was actually scraping the bottom of the barrel to get, to get me here. He had already asked 25 other people and said, um, if you're available... And so, uh, so I, I said, well, I tell you what, you're, you're, you must be desperate if you're, you're calling my number up. Hey, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 4 this morning. I want to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 2 through 6. And uh, I just want to say that I have known uh, your senior pastor for, for many years. He is a, uh, he's a friend. Uh, he is a He's a former colleague. We both were teaching at Southern Seminary uh, together, and that's actually where I met him. I met him uh, at, uh, at Southern. And, uh, and you know what? As, as, I was, as I was coming over here this morning, I realized something, that uh, there was a time when, when Dr. Cox, before he was Dr. Cox, he was, uh, he was greater Don Cox. And he was grading papers for uh, some, of the seminary, some of the professors at the seminary while I was a student there. And I realized something this morning, and that is he graded some of my papers. <laughs> and I realized that um, he not only graded some of my papers, he did not always give me uh, good grades. <laughs> but he invited me to preach this morning, and he's not here. <laughs> Do you want to know a good story about your pastor? Now, here, here's, here's what I want, I want you to do. When, when he gets back, I, I, want you, I want you to say this. And, and even those of you that are, that are watching us uh, online today, I want you to say this. I want you to say, oh, Dr. Cox, I can't believe that J.D. Payne told that story about you. And just leave it at that. <laughs> and, and just walk off just shaking your head three months in prison, pastor. And, and, and just, just let it sit there, all right? Just, just let, it, let it sit there. No, it's, it's truly a blessing to, uh, to know, uh, know your beloved uh, pastor. I, I think very, very highly of him, and, and truly um, it's a joy to, joy to be here with you this morning. One of the things that he uh, communicated with me and was also mentioned today in the announcements was uh, related to your uh, global offering that is taking place right now, your global missions offering goal of 150000 which will continue to be received through April. I, I want to, first of all, I want to say thank you as a church family uh, for, for such a goal and, and also for your faithfulness in giving. So much of, of what you give goes to uh, our international work as Southern Baptists through, uh, I believe, about 45% of that offering goal uh, to uh, Lottie Moon and then to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering with about 35% goes to work with the North American Mission Board uh, here in the United States and in Canada. And uh, as you heard just a moment ago with uh, with my introduction, for nine years I served with the North American Mission Board. And so thank you. Thank you so very much in what you're doing uh, to help church planners in North America, especially during this time of the year, during the Easter season that's, uh, that's soon to be upon us, uh, as we think about a Southern Baptist collecting the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So thank you. Thank you for your giving. If you have not had a chance to, to do so and be involved in that at, the, at this time, I'd like to encourage you to, encourage you to do that. Um, today, our message that we're going to be looking at from Colossians chapter 4, chapter 4, verses 2 through verses number 6, uh, is, a, is a message that I've given a title, Six Principles uh, for Sharing Our Faith with Those Far From God. Six Principles for Sharing Our Faith with Those That Are Far From God. Uh, one of the things that uh, I often see uh, is the, the challenge of, of the church 
in a, in a context where we have incredible opportunities and freedoms to be able to share the gospel with others, that, that oftentimes uh, we, we don't share. We don't take advantage of those opportunities. Um, I was recently being interviewed by, by some guys that were doing a podcast, and it was on the topic of, of evangelism. And uh, they were just asking me about, you know, some things related to evangelism. And they, they were talking to me about just some of the things that, that I saw the Lord doing in my life with just the way that I, you know, my, my, my abilities and passions and interests. And they said, J.D., what, what do you think some of your, your, your limitations are when it comes to evangelism? Because they had asked me about, about my passion for evangelism. And I told them I have, I have a strong passion to see the gospel shared and the church equipped to share the faith and to see people come to faith. But then they asked me, they said, J.D., what... What do you see some of your, your, your limitations are? And I said, you know, one of the big limitations in my own heart, if I'm really honest, is that I, I struggle with, um, with um, not sharing my faith. I, I write about it. I, I, I teach about it. I train people. I, I pastored churches and shepherded churches to be involved in sharing their faith. But I struggle with it as well. And I think oftentimes we, we, we don't hear that from our leaders, that sometimes our leaders wrestle with, with sharing our faith. And so, so one of the things that the Lord just really impressed upon me several years ago, reading through the book of Colossians, was this text in Colossians chapter 4. And I think it's a text that is a, that is a, a helpful text for those of us that oftentimes wrestle uh, with some of the things related to sharing our faith with other people. Now, the, here's the thing. Colossians chapter 4 was not written by the Apostle Paul to teach us how to share the gospel. Uh, Paul is writing this book. He is in prison. It's one of his prison epistles. And he's writing to a church that was probably planted by Epaphroditus, an individual that we're introduced to in Paul's book, uh, in this book. And Paul gets to the end of this book and he begins to talk about some practical things. And so what he has told us thus far in the book of Colossians is that Christ, Christ is not just someone who is, who is okay and, and kind of good. Christ is supreme. In, in the church in Colossae, there was, this, there was this discussion, this debate going on that you know, Christ, Christ is, is, is strong, he's powerful, he's, he's, he's important, but that's about all. And Paul is writing this, this letter to, to counter some of these false teachings. And he begins by talking about Christ's supremacy of who, who he is. And then Paul, as he normally does in his writings, he gets toward the end of this book, and he begins to get more practical, and he begins to talk about some things related to the Christian life and the home. But before he wraps this book up, he begins to ask for some specific uh, ministry from the Colossian people on his own behalf, and that is for them to remember him in prayer while he's in prison. And it's in this text of Scripture that I think we begin to see some things that for us today, where we're living, uh, at least six things uh, that we can apply to our lives as we think about Paul's teaching, as he would often tell his churches, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example, not just in my belief, but even in my, in my practices. I think that there are at least six things that we need to take a look at today. So with that kind of being our context of this passage of Scripture, that being sort of the background behind why Paul writes this text of Scripture, let's take a look at this passage. Chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it 
clear, which is how I ought to speak, and walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This message this morning is is a message that I am sharing to those that are in this room, those that may be online, that already claim the name of Christ, that are already followers of Jesus. But I don't assume anytime I speak to a group of people, I don't assume that everyone is a follower of Christ. And so, so I, I want to say, if you're not a follower of, of this Jesus that we've been singing to and worshiping and that you've heard proclaimed probably many times from this pulpit up here, uh, my word to you today is I don't want you to tune out, even though I'm primarily speaking to Christians this morning, but I want you to think about some of the things that's already taken place in this gathering, and I want you to hear some of the things that I'm sharing today. At the beginning of the hour, at the beginning of our time, there was a passage from Romans that was read. And it was a passage that said, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, that person can be saved. You see, God created, he created all of us. He created us in his image. But because God's holy, God's perfect, he's also a God that's full of love, but a God that is a just God. And because of sin, because of our sin that separates us from him, there is, there is a punishment for that sin. The, the wages of sin is death, as that book of Romans also teaches us. But the, but the, the good news, the gift of God, is, is, is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, the one that we've been, been singing about and praising. And, and the Bible says that if, if we're willing to turn from our sins and we're willing to, to place our faith in Jesus, who died on a cross for our sins and arose from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. You will be forgiven of your sins. You'll, you'll be a part of the kingdom of God. You'll be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. And so if you're not a follower of Christ, even though I'm primarily going to be addressing the church this morning, I just want to encourage you, just even as I'm speaking, just in your heart, just, just go to, go to the God and just turn from your sin. Call on him, believing on the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ, and commit yourself to Christ. So church, six things. Six things I think that are important for us as followers of this Christ who has saved us. Six things that we can apply to our lives when it comes to the importance of being faithful in sharing our faith with people who are far from God. And I think if we, I think if we all thought for a moment, we could all probably identify people in our family or friends, people we play with, we work with, people that we, uh, we know in our community uh, that we would say would be, yeah, they, they seem to be far from God. Well, what are some things that Paul may share with us today that could help us in this journey? Number one, the first thing I want us to think about from this text is that our sharing, when it comes to sharing our faith, our sharing must be done in a spirit of prayer and trust in God to provide opportunities. That our sharing must be done in a spirit of prayer and trust in God to provide opportunities. Look back with me to verse number 3. Paul writes, he says, at the same time, remember he's in prison, pray also for us that God may open to us, open to us a door for the word. One of the things that we see in Paul's life is that he believed in God's sovereignty, that God was overall that God was all-powerful, that nothing happened apart from God. But at the same time, Paul believed in his own responsibility. That God would work and we were to pray and, and the power of salvation was, was through God. But at the same time, as followers of Christ, Paul realized he was to be in, 
intentional, there's the word, intentional in sharing this good news with other people. He says, pray for us that God would open up a door for us to share the word with others. We see this throughout Paul's ministry in Acts chapter 16. He and his team intentionally try to go into Asia to share the gospel. They intentionally, in Acts chapter 16, try to go into Bithynia to share the gospel. And it's through that they end up being called over to the region of Macedonia. And they intentionally go to a city called Philippi to share the gospel. And Lydia and her household come to faith. A jailer and his household comes to faith. And the church in Philippi is planted there. As a result of God's sovereignty and Paul being intentional. Several years ago, a practice that I started in my own life was that even before I get out of bed in the morning, I'll take a moment and I'll just, I'll just pray for God to guide my encounters throughout the day. Lord, would you guide my conversations and encounters with others throughout the day that I may be able to, may be able to share your gospel with those that do not know you, that I may be able to see them come to know you, and that I may be able to encourage believers throughout the day. And I'll, I'll, I'll just take a moment even before I, before I get out of bed, after I've hit my snooze like 20 times on my phone, you know, my wife, get out of bed, get out of bed. Um, you know, Lord, just guide my steps. And when you begin to pray like that, begin to watch and see what God does. Uh, my wife Sarah and I, we were at a restaurant one time, and our server, uh, he comes over to, to, to our table, and I just prayed that prayer that morning. He comes over to our table, and it was kind of slow that evening, and, and we just begin to you know, strike up a conversation, and he's, you know, he's coming back and forth sharing, you know, pouring you know, drinks, and he's bringing our food and things of that nature, and we're just talking to him. And, and, uh, and he grew up in, in Pakistan, and I was just curious. I said, hey, you know, we were out, actually, this is actually... Um, out of New Mexico, and I said, I'm just curious, uh, you grew up in Pakistan? He said, yeah, he said, uh, but I was adopted by some, uh, some American parents, and, they, and I was raised here in New Mexico after I was 11 years old. And I said, I said really? And, and so I knew that from my church family back home, there were, there were church members uh, in our church that had, had adopted children from that part of the world. And so I, I was just curious to find out a little bit more about him, and he was sharing about his life. And so I, I said, hey, you know, there's some people that are part of our church back home that have adopted children from that part of the world. I'm just curious, being, being a Muslim country, were you adopted, you know, Pakistan? being a Muslim country primarily, were you adopted by Christians? And he said, yes, I was adopted by Christian parents. And I said, so you were raised in a Christian home? He said, well, no. He said, I wasn't really raised in a Christian home. They, um, they were just Christian in name only. They, they weren't committed or anything of that nature. And I said, well, you know, I'm just curious. I said, do, do, you, still, do you still know Urdu? He said, Urdu? You know Urdu? I said, no, I don't know Urdu. I just know the word Urdu. And uh, he, said, he said, yes. He said, I still speak it. I still read it. I know it. But here in the States, you know, I, you know it's hard to find people that, you know, that would know how to speak it. And so we were talking. We were going back and forth. And I asked him, I said, you know, being raised in a Christian home, I know your parents weren't, you know, um, they were very nominal. Uh, Christ has really changed my life. And, and my wife was there, and she was talking as well. And, and we're, we're, we're his followers. We seek after him and follow after him. Have you ever, by chance, read the words of Jesus in, in the New Testament? He said, no, I've never read them. But, but, I, but I, I would like to do that. And I said, how about this? I said, if I can get you a New Testament in Urdu, would you be willing to, to read some passages that I share with you? He said, you can get me a Bible in Urdu? I said, yeah. He gave me his address. was able to send him a Bible and, and guide him in some passages to look at. When we begin to pray, God, would you guide my conversations encounter? Would you begin to, would you open a door for, for the word to be shared? Begin to watch what God does. But here's the thing, 
We pray, but we are intentional. It doesn't mean we're rude. It doesn't mean that we're mean. It just means that we're intentional as we go. We, we, we learn to ask questions. We learn to, to, to share about our lives. We learn to share about what Christ has done in our life. Number two, second thing I want us to see from this text is that our sharing must include a clearly spoken word, a clearly spoken message of the good news. That when we share with others, it needs to be a clearly spoken message. Second part of verse 3, part, first part of verse 4. Pray that God may open a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. What is the mystery of Christ? Well, if we read back through the book of Colossians, what we see is that Paul has been talking about this mystery. It was a mystery in the first century. For us today, it's not a mystery. But in the first century, it was a mystery. The thought of of God coming to earth and taking on flesh and dying on a cross and at the same time bringing both Jew and Gentile together into this body called the church. For the first century believers, that was a mystery. And Paul is basically saying, hey, pray that God would give us this open door to declare this good news, this good message, this mystery to them, not so much to us, but to do it in a way, verse 4, that I may make it clear. That I may make this message clear. One day I was driving down the road in in Birmingham, where where I live, and there was a billboard on the side of the road. And the billboard said, these were the only words that are on there, it said, it said, you must be born again, from John chapter 3. Now, as a follower of Christ, and I rejoice at that, you know, praise God, praise God for, for his spirit that, that has, has worked in my heart and brought me into the kingdom, praise God for his spirit and his word that's still active in the world today and, 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 and bringing people into the kingdom, that people are, are being born again all the time. But as I drove on down the road, I got to thinking, I wonder how many Hindus drive past that sign every day? And to them, that's not good news. It's, it's actually bad news. Uh, because in the worldview uh, of, of, of the cycle of reincarnation, I want to escape that cycle of rebirth. I don't want to be born again. Now, is the phrase biblical? Yes. But without explanation, without explaining it, without helping people to see a message that, as Paul would say, that I may make it how? Make it what? Clear. Yes. That without clarity in the message, it it oftentimes comes across very confusing. Church, you, you know this as well as I do. The longer we spend in the church culture and in the church world, the more we speak the insider language, right? The Christianese. You know, the, the terms that we're comfortable with, terms that are very good and healthy and appropriate, but oftentimes, when we get outside of the Christian context, outside of the Christian subculture, and we use that same language, it, it's kind of like Charlie Brown's teacher. You know, I'm talking, wah, 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 wah. hey, and you know the other day, Jesus, wah, 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 wah. in other words, the, the world doesn't understand what we're saying. So we say God, and they say, well, what God are you talking about? But we think that they're thinking the same God when we say God. So when Paul says, hey, pray that we may make this message clear, it requires us to really watch our language and watch the way we speak and engage in conversation with people, helping them to to understand these concepts that we hold near and dear to our heart. I remember talking to a man one time. He was in his 40s. this, I was living at the time in Indianapolis, and, and he told me, he said that he had been a part of a Baptist church in central Indiana. 
And, and we were sitting there, we were talking, we'd been talking about the gospel. He, we, he was in my, in my kitchen, and, and uh, we had spent some time together, and, and I just, just shared with him a very clear gospel message, just like what I just shared just a, just a few moments ago right here. And here's what he told me, and I'll never forget these words. He said, J.D., I have never heard this message before. I'd never heard this message of Jesus and his good news. I've never heard this message of needing to turn from my sin and place my faith in Christ. I've never heard this message. And yet, for years, I've been a part of a Baptist church in central Indiana. Church, when we speak, how clear is the message that we make when we share it with other people? Number three, third thing I want us to see from this text. Our lifestyle, excuse me, our sharing. Our sharing must be done with wisdom. Our sharing must be done with wisdom, making certain that our lifestyles, that our lifestyles reflect Christ. First part of verse 5, Paul says, walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Another way to think about this is in wisdom be walking. In order for, the, for us to not only speak a message clearly in a way that people can understand, our actions, our lifestyle, the way that we, we live needs to be married to that and complement the words that we speak. In other words, when we begin to think about sharing this good news with others, we must share the love of Christ with our words, yes. We must be intentional, but at the same time, and don't miss this, don't miss this from the text, we must also show the love of Christ with our actions. We must share the love of Christ with our words and be intentional, but we must also show the love of Christ with our actions. And so when Paul basically says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, he's basically saying, how now should you live in your context? How should you live in the day and time in which you find your time on planet earth in the kingdom of God? So here's the question that I have to ask you, church, because this is not my, my context. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I live back in the promised land in Birmingham. And so you're here. <laughs> um, so... So you're here, but we're still in the South. What does it mean for us as followers of Christ to be walking in wisdom, according to this text, toward other people in the South when many people in the South claim to be believers but their lifestyles show that they're far from God? What does it mean for us to be a community of believers Walking in wisdom in a context where other people think that they're following Christ, but their lifestyles contradict the very message that they claim to own. How are we looking differently when the world sees us? When people far from God see us, what do they see as a congregation, as a church? So we need to begin to think about other people around us. How do they think? What do they believe? What are their hopes? What are their hurts, their fears, their concerns, their joys, their passions? What are the things that they value? And when we begin to answer those questions, we begin to recognize that maybe the world around us thinks differently and acts differently and is differently because they truly believe differently than what we see in the Scriptures. And so then how do we live a lifestyle Create a culture, a context, a community, a fellowship of believers, a church 
that truly reflects not just the words of Christ, but also the actions of the kingdom as well. And I can't answer that question for you. I can't, I can't answer what that looks like in your context, but it's something that we all have to keep in mind. I have to think about this all the time in my, in my setting. Number, number four, the next thing I want us to see from this text, is that when it comes to reaching those that are far from God, our sharing must be guided by wisdom as we make the most of every opportunity to share. Our sharing must be guided by wisdom as we make the most of ever, every opportunity to share. Look at verse number five again. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the, the best use of the time. You know, James says that, that life is like a vapor. It's only here for a short period of time, and then, then it vanishes. So, so how will we make the best use of our time? As we pray for God to open up opportunities, as we seek to be intentional, as we try to make this message clear, as we try to live out a, a lifestyle before the world, what does it mean for us to, to make the best use of time? I heard a story several years ago. This was actually from an evangelist uh, back in the 19th century. And he made a statement, and it's, it's stuck with me to this day. And he made this statement and the statement is as follows. Every time I meet someone new, every time I meet a new person, in, in my mind's eye, in my mind's eye, I see on that person either an S or an L. And I began to, to read this story a little bit more, and here's what he said. He said, when I meet a person, I, I assume that everyone has the letter L on them. And what does the letter L stand for? It, it means it stands for them being lost. And, 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 if, and, and, and I assume that they're not followers of Christ until, until they have, have clearly communicated that they are his follower, and then I see that S on them. Now, he wasn't treating people like projects. He wasn't trying to treat people you know, as if they, they were less than created in the image of God. But what his point was, was that his default setting, his, his, his default mode in which he operated in, was that every time I meet a new person, I assume this is a person who needs to hear about the love of Christ until I find out that they're already a follower of Christ. And so I would just ask, what does, what does it mean for you in this context to make the best use of your time? What does it look like for you to, to be wise with your time as you encounter people? Number five, fifth thing I want us to see from this text. Our sharing must be done with an appropriate attitude. Our sharing must be done with an appropriate attitude. Attitude. Verse number six, let your speech, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. How is your speech? Do, does it reflect a godly heart within? Is our speech seasoned well? So 10 years ago, my family and I, we moved from, from Louisville, Kentucky down to Birmingham, Alabama. I, Kentucky, you know, I had been in the promised land in Kentucky, but now it's Alabama. So, so yeah, um, don't tell my family. I'll tell my family, they're all in Kentucky. Um, so I'm moving to Birmingham, Alabama, and I decide that after I get to Birmingham, Alabama, I am going to become an amateur pit master, all right? Because I've been watching enough videos on YouTube, you know, barbecuepitboys.com and all these things. And so I want to become an amateur pit master. Now, I know, I know I'm in the Carolinas. I'm not going to start talking about barbecue and the Carolina barbecue compared to other barbecue. I'm not going to do that. I realize I don't want to split the church, and I've got a long way to drive before the border, all right? So I'll send you all a text right before I cross the line. And so I get my grill. I get a smoker, right? And here's what I learned. I'm still working on being an amateur, but here's what I learned. When it comes to smoking chicken on the grill, you have to brine 
You have to brine the chicken. And, and basically that means you're putting it in a, in a saltwater solution with a bunch of other stuff. And, uh, and, then you, and, and you take it out and you throw it on your grill. One time I made the mistake of not brining the chicken before throwing it on the grill for about four hours. And it came, it came out as, as a rubbery, tough, dry, tasteless substance. <laughs> now, here's the thing. I also found out about uh, doing pork on the grill. You, put, you, you do a good rub on it. Uh, again, you can, you, can, you can smoke it. You don't have to put any seasoning on it. You, but, you, but, but here's the thing. It's that rub, it's that spice, it's that seasoning that makes it pop. Will dry, rubbery chicken, will pork that doesn't taste so great, will it satisfy your hunger? Yes, it'll fill your stomach. It, it'll sustain life. But how much better? How much better is it to be able to have, to have chicken, to have, have pork that, that, that's, that's seasoned and, it, and, and, it's, and it's exciting and when it comes out it's like, wow! You see, the Word of God is powerful and it's active and it's sharper than every, any two-edged sword. And you can be a mean, grumpy, angry, bitter Christian and you can share the gospel with someone and in spite of who you are reflecting a lifestyle that's not Christ-like, the Lord can still work through that to accomplish His purpose. But how much better? I mean, oh, how much better to, to be able to, to speak with, with, with language and have a lifestyle that reflects a truly transformed heart. That when you speak to someone who doesn't know the kingdom of light, they know the kingdom of darkness, they don't know abundant life in Christ, they, they, all they know is the ways of the world, how much more so is it supposed to be about us being seasoned in the way that we speak, seasoned in the way that we act toward other people? Now, I'll, I want to say this before I give you our last point. This does not mean that as believers we have to always have a smile on our face. This does not mean that we always have to be, be acting like we've got a mask on. But what do people see in us? Do, do they see hypocrites? Or do they see holiness? When they look at us, do they see bitterness? Or do they see someone who's blessed even when we're distressed? Do they see grumpiness or do they see gentleness? Do they see criticism and cynicism or do they see compassion? What do they see on our, dare I say it, social media accounts? It doesn't mean that we'd be false. But it does mean that we reflect the heart that when we're going through difficult times, it reveals the anchor on which we are holding when we're going through difficult times. When we're going through struggles, when we're going through challenges, when we're going through suffering, when we're going through trials in this life. It doesn't mean that we're false. It just means that we're being real. So what do they see in us? Last thing, the last principle I want us to see. When it comes to, to reaching those that, that, are, that are far from God, our sharing must be done in a way that communicates the never-changing good news in ever-changing situations. Our sharing must be done in a way that, that, that communicates the never-changing good news. The message of the gospel does not change. Repentance toward God, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is what Paul would say that he declared to others. But 
the way we communicate it, it's in situations that are shifting all the time. Culture is always moving in this direction or that direction. We're in this population segment today. We're in that population segment tomorrow. We're talking to this person today. We're talking to that person tomorrow. And so when you look at this text, what do you see in verse number 6? The very last part. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. How you may know how to answer each person. What's Paul assuming here? He's assuming interaction. He's assuming dialogue. He's not assuming that everybody is a robot. There's no algorithm that Paul is operating from that if you, do, if you encounter this person, do this, this, this. If you encounter this person, do this, this, this. It's important to learn different approaches, different models of how to share your faith. But look at the way that Jesus and the first century apostles shared their faith. The message never changed, but the situations were always changing. And the people were asking different questions over here. But when they would go over here, the questions would be different. Jesus approaches the woman at the well in John chapter 4. You must be born again. No. Let me tell you about living water. John chapter 3, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Philip runs up to the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. And, 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 he, and he's, he's, as he's running beside the guy's chariot, he hears the guy. And the guy's reading from the book of Isaiah. You must be born again. No. You must, you must, you must drink of the living water. No. What are you reading? I'm reading from Isaiah the prophet. And I don't understand what's being said here. I think I got an answer. Can I share it with you? And Luke records that from that very text, from that very passage, he preached Jesus. I think sometimes we as Christians feel that we don't have, we don't know what to say to people because we don't do a good job listening to people. What are we supposed to say? We're supposed to tell them about the good news of Jesus. That they're to turn from their sins and follow him. But the questions that they'll ask. What if I don't know the answers to all their questions? That's okay. God never told you to know everything. Tell people that's a great question. Try to find an answer. Get back together with them in the future for another opportunity to be able to talk with them. When you look at this passage of scripture, know how you ought to answer each person. It assumes that you're in conversation with people. And you will find out that different situations will sometimes surprise you greatly. I was talking to a guy one time. And and we were having this great conversation about Christ, about the gospel. About, about the, the fact that, that God wanted him in his kingdom and, and, and to be there. You know, he had to turn from his sin and place his faith in Jesus. And, and, and at the end of the conversation, here's what he says to me. He says, J.D., I've got a question for you. Now, I've been trained in all these different ways to share, evan- you know, to do personal evangelism. You know, I, I had Dr. Don Cox as a professor. And so, as so I'm ready, because this guy is going to ask me the Philippian jailer question, right, of Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? And I'm going to be ready for him. And so, after all this lengthy discussion, he says, J.D., I've got a question for you. And I said, what's your question? He says, why doesn't the Bible talk about UFOs and life on other planets? Dear Lifeway, 
In your last personal evangelism training module, I didn't find an answer to this question. Here's what I said to him. Because he wasn't trying to be belligerent. He wasn't trying to be mean. He was coming from his heart. He was sincere. I said, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. I have no idea. But I do know that if there is life on other planets and if there are UFOs, then the God that we've been talking about, he created that. But the primary thing that he wants you to understand is about having this relationship with him. And he said, okay. I one time went into a place to get my hair cut. And a lady was cutting my hair. And I don't know how we got on the topic about, about... faith matters and things of that nature, but um, it, was, it was a good conversation. I, just, I was just sharing my story about how the Lord brought me to faith in him. And I was just telling her my testimony, my story, and I, and I, I, I share this with her, and um, it was just really, just very, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and, you know, just very kind of average, and, um, and, I, and I asked her this question after I shared my story. I said, this is a question, this, this is a question I'll often ask people to, to enter into conversation with them. I said, have you ever had anything similar to happen to you? And she said, oh, yes. And I thought, oh, wow, I found someone who's a believer, you know. And she said, oh, yes, I, I, I had a dream last night of the devil chasing me and he was going to kill me. Now, there was nothing in my story <laughs> either about a dream or the devil chasing me or him trying to kill me. And so I said, you know, have you ever had anything like this to happen to you? And her response was, oh, yes. I, you know, and she told me. And I said, and she wasn't joking. 24 hours before, she wasn't joking. And I, and I said, tell me about it. I want to hear it. You see, do you assume that God is working in the lives of people long before we get there? We should assume that. We should assume that. And so she begins to tell this story. And she said, I woke up, and she said, this morning, I I was crying when I woke up. It woke me up, and she said, I called my mother, who is a religious woman, and, and I told her this story, and here's what my mother said to me. She said, honey, what have you done that is so bad that the devil is trying to get you? Now... You could either write that off as saying, man, she's just been around too much of that aerosol hairspray. (laughs) Or you could say, whoa, I'm not not even going to talk about that. I have no point of connection there. Or you could begin to say, well, maybe God's doing something here. And and so I just prayed for wisdom, and I I didn't know what I was going to say next. I had no idea. I just prayed for wisdom. Lord, I'm trying to be intentional. I'm trying to walk. I just want to be faithful and just making your gospel clear. And so this is what I said to her. I said, I don't, I don't know. I don't know for certain. But, but here's what I think God may be trying to communicate to you. And so I just went back into talking to her about the issue of sin that separates us from him. Already has us in the evil one's kingdom. He already has his hands on us. We're locked in. We're shackled by sin. We're shackled into the kingdom of darkness. And it's not a matter of what have I done that's so wrong compared to someone else down the street. It's a matter that I've sinned against a holy God and I have this sin nature. And I shared that with her. I shared with her about Christ and how that he could break her free from that. And she didn't come to faith in Christ that day. But it gave her something to think about. 